This is Stories of Strength by MuscleTech, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength. Welcome back to another episode of Stories of Strength, a podcast where we share personal and inspirational tales of redefined strength. I'm your host, Jay Cardiello, and today I'm speaking with an amazing athlete who's changing the rules and standards of what it means to be an Olympic athlete. Joining us today is the British long jump record holder, Lorraine Ugin. She's here to discuss her story and the impact of sponsorships among elite athletes. Welcome, Lorraine. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. I'd like to first congratulate you on your World Indoor Championship bronze medal. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. You and I share common interests. I was a former long jumper at the University of Arkansas, so uh, I know what you go through on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how far did you jump? I jumped, uh, what, 760 is 25-1. Okay. Okay. Not bad. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I had some fun there. I, I unfortunately had a uh, serious spinal injury that uh, unfortunately I broke my spine. So I came down wrong on a jump and unfortunately I landed in the uh, sand and broke my spine and had uh, 16 major surgeries to put it all back together. So I'm all ready to go. Oh, wow. Did, and did you jump again after that? No, I didn't. I ran though. I ended my career at the Melrose game. So I want to end on my, uh, I wanted to write the final chapter. So it was uh, at the Melrose games. I ran the four by four and we got seconds. So I was really happy with that. And I ended my career at that. That's good. At least you managed to come back and perform a little bit before finishing off your career. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing way to end my career. So you experienced a lot of success at an early age. What initially inspired your love of athletics? I think I actually stumbled across being in athletics, I would say, from like doing school sports days. Like in school, mm-hmm. we used to have like sports days once a year. And I think the first time I had a sports day in like secondary school, I remember doing the high, I actually did the high jump. Mm-hmm. and we were like obviously jumping against like everybody and um, I think it ended up being me and this one other girl left she was in year 11 and I was in year seven and mm-hmm. we were like battling at the end I thought oh, this is kind of fun like you know <laughs> and then um, obviously I went to English schools I qualified for English schools I think I was I can't remember what event I did first to be honest so long ago that it's like yeah but I qualified for English schools and then that's when I kind of was like okay this is kind of fun let me join a club let me see what it's like actually like training for track and field and like see if I can improve on it and obviously I started off as a 100 meter runner a little bit and then I branched off into long jumping so it's kind of like dibbling and dabbling in events before I've really found my event which was a long jump. Oh that is great there's nothing like the long jump I always loved competing in it and it was great because it it gave me my identity for a long time and yeah. you know just being in the air for that you know split second just gives you such a feeling of freedom i'm not sure if you experience that or not but it's just such a feeling of freedom being on the runway and taking off just i always say it's like being in an airplane no for sure i think one of the things i like about long jump is that it kind of combines both like obviously like sprint in a little bit and then jump in mm-hmm. like i'm quite a bouncy person anyway so <laughs> it just goes kind of hand in hand with like just that feeling of like leaping and seeing how far you can go and like still also having that sprinting on the side as well. So I kind of, um, that's why I think I enjoy the long jump so much. Oh, that is great. Now you competed at Texas Christian University. What was it like growing up in Europe and now competing for a U.S. school? I would say one of the biggest differences about like being in London and then moving to the U.S. is that obviously in London, I think, especially as a junior, when I competed, of course, London's a lot smaller. So when I would compete, I think 
I'd gotten to a point where it was like, I felt like I could turn up to a lot of competitions and kind of like mm -hmm. dominate a little bit more. Just that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like when I went to the US, I feel like you have to be ready. Like you can't just turn up and be like, yeah, I'm, you know, just chilling. Like I, I knew in the NCAA, like those girls were ready to jump. They're jumping <laughs> far. They're running fast. So you have to be on your A game. Otherwise you're going to get beat. So I think that gave me that extra edge that I needed to turn up and be a little bit more on point and like compete a little bit harder in the US because the quality and the standard of the NCAA system is just so much higher. Mm -hmm. You bring up a very valid point because I remember, you know, growing up in a small town, I was like the king and then you get to the NCAAs and everybody's a king. Yeah. I don't know if you felt like that. It was, uh, and especially like at our practice, we had people like Mike Conley, Rob Howard, and uh, Brian Wellman. And we had, you know, all the studs that were one, two, three at the NCAA. So for me, going to the NCAAs meant going to practice every day. So it was, it was, then I was the little fish in the big sea. It was, it was a very humbling experience. I'm not sure if you experienced that or not. I think the nice thing kind of about TCU is that it was like, I don't think I was necessarily a little fish in the big sea because I feel like mm -hmm. I still kind of was a bit of a big fish at TCU only because mm -hmm. I think, I mean, obviously we had a lot of talent. Like we had Charles Silman, he was hundred meters. He won NCAAs in the hundred meters. Mm -hmm. My training partner, she won the long jump. The year that I came, she won the long jump because she was a senior my freshman year. So, she, and then we had like some other people that had like done really well in like the four by one and the hundred meters. So we did have like a few athletes, but then at the same time, it was like still, I feel like, do you get what I mean? Like, no, I do. I, I yeah. Do. Versus like, maybe if I'd gone to like LSU or Texas A&M or something where the whole team is contending for the national title, then I feel like it's more like there's millions and millions of people on the team that are like <laughs> going at it. I still feel like I still managed to have that, that safety net of knowing that like, you know, the school was going to nurture me and they're not like, cause I feel like sometimes some schools can be a bit cutthroat because mm -hmm. they're trying to win a national title. They're like, you need to perform now. Otherwise you need to transfer to somewhere else. Whereas I feel like at TCU, they kind of like built individual champions rather than like the whole team has to do this or like, yeah. do you get what I mean? No, I do. Yeah. I still enjoyed having that. They still like nurtured you individually. And like, it wasn't like you have to perform otherwise you're getting cut and stuff like that. So I think that's <laughs> one thing I loved about TCU as well is that they still like took care of you without like it being so cutthroat at the same time. Yeah. You bring up a very valid point because I know at the University of Arkansas, we always competed for the national title. Mm -hmm. So it was like that. It's like, if you don't make the jump in practice, you're going home. You know, a lot of times the buses were missed because they took other jumpers Yeah, because I uh, you know, didn't perform well in practice. So I, ex I know exactly what you're talking about. But, and also too, I remember TCU was the, the people that you didn't mess with when you go to the Texas relays. You guys <laughs> had such four by one and four by four dominance. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah no, nah. when it came to the relay, TCU was on point. Yeah, it was on point. I think they had the, the NCAA record at some point. But yeah, like when it came to sprints and jumps, like I feel like TCU was definitely that school. So we had, it's like for individual events, we were like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. For content, well, when we was in the Mountain West, obviously we were contending for the title. When we moved to the Big 12, it was a bit more like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. So at what point in your college career did you know, like, hey, listen, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. When did you know that you, or when did you say I'm capable of becoming professional? To be honest, I knew before I came out. Oh, you did? Wow. Yeah, I, I knew I wanted to be professional before I came out. And I think that that's something I've been working towards. Obviously, before I came, I made like the junior national teams. Like I went to world juniors and European juniors and European mm -hmm. under 23s. So I kind of had a taste of like, making a national team. And so for me, it was more so about like, 
finding the right niche, finding the right coach, finding the right setup that will work for me. And the reason why I felt like the NCAA worked for me so well is because I did do one year in university in the UK and it was like, Mm -hmm. they build the schedule in the UK. It's like the schedule is the schedule and you turn up and versus in the, yeah. So like they have this, this, it's not sports and school are not connected at all. And so interesting. When I went on a visit and they were like, you know, we build our schedule. Obviously that like athletes have first pick on like what classes they take, like what time they can pick their classes and stuff like that. I was like, this make, kind of makes more sense for me because in the UK, if class and training clashed, I would go to training. <laughs> so versus like, at least when I was in the US, I knew that like I could build my schedule so that they never clashed and I could balance both a lot better. And so I think that kind of just like made sense to me to make that move so that I could still get the best of like training to be professional and make the teams as a senior and then also like get my degree. Yeah. The U S schools do a great job setting up if you want to be a professional mm-hmm. because you do, you get first choice on classes, you get first choice. And even when you're injured, they build the schedule around your performances at practice, whether you're practicing in the morning or in the afternoon. So it's great about the U S and they actually do that for you. That's great. It's interesting though. That, so did you miss a lot of classes when you were in London? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. I'll play the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> you played the fifth. <laughs> that is funny. I was watching a lot of your jumps on YouTube, yeah. you know, getting ready for our interview and everything. And I noticed that you're a big clapper getting, you know, getting the crowd into it. What goes on in your mind before you're about to jump? Um, I think it really depends on what competition. I'm, well, actually, no, that's a lie. It doesn't depend. Well, Kind of, but I think if I can just talk in general, what goes in mm-hmm. my mind, most of the time I'm thinking about what I need to do to perform in that jump. So most of the time it's like, I've already gotten an instruction from my coach because obviously we do warm ups before we start. So I'm probably thinking about like driving my knee or getting my foot down or mm-hmm. making sure I'm inside. Like there's some kind of technical input that I'm thinking about before I go. And if I am getting a clap, that's most of the time just to get the crowd behind me, just to get more energy, to like, get myself a little bit more hype to like get that jump out. I feel like sometimes when the crowd is behind you, they just like feed you a bit more energy to like make you run a bit faster or like, do you know what I mean? So yeah, I do. Yeah. But most of the time I'm just thinking about like what technical thing I need to do Like I'll probably pick that one, one thing. Cause I think if I pick too much stuff at once, then I'll just forget everything. But if I just pick one thing that I need to do going in towards the board, then normally that's what I'm thinking about before I jump. Speaking of thinking about, do you do any, any like morning rituals or anything to get your mind ready for the day? Like I get up at 5am, I do an ice bath, I do my workout and I know being an athlete and being especially a long jumper, you're all by yourself. Do you subscribe to any morning rituals that you may do to prepare yourself for the day? Not really. I don't think I have any morning rituals. I'll be honest. I'm not really much of a morning person at all. So (laughs) (laughs) most of the time I'm waking up at the last minute possible so I can get that last drop of sleep. And then I just got to start my day. Like I just got to go. Oh, that is great. Yeah. Most times I'm just getting up, getting ready, eating breakfast and I'm out the door in as little time as possible. (laughs) That is great. Well, sleep is very imperative to an athlete. So I can completely understand. No, definitely. Now I saw the jump where you went 23-2. What was it like when you broke the seven meter barrier? What what was the feeling? I was just about to ask. I don't know what 23-2 is. um, (laughs) (laughs) Seven meters. Um. Do you know what? That day, that was at British Charles and I don't know what I was thinking about beforehand. I just know that I think at the time there was, what the, that was 2018. I'm trying to, I can't, I can't remember who was competing, but I think that I'd been knocked down a little bit in mm-hmm. the 
competition. In my head, I was thinking, you know, I just need to get a good jump out to like get back higher. I don't remember what position I was in because that was like 2018. So I just remember thinking, you know, just attack it a little bit more. I remember getting the clap and just trying to get a bit more hype and just, you know. And then as soon as I landed, I looked at the pin and thought, hmm, that looks a bit, <laughs> that's looking a bit nice over there. But to be honest, I was slightly shocked that I was shocked. You were shocked. I saw the video. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been chasing seven meters for so long, but it was just like, I just, I didn't know. I just, I don't know. I just, I was like, I've done it. Like, oh. <laughs> well, you should be really proud of yourself. That's a, that's a no. far jump. That's a far jump. No, definitely. So take us through your injury last year and your road to recovery for Tokyo. What exactly was going through your mind at the time? So obviously I injured myself. I actually injured myself while I was competing mm-hmm. and in 2020 during the indoor season. And originally, you know, when we got on the scan, we seen that, you know, I tore my Biceps firm, I believe, mm-hmm. in my hamstring. And originally what we had decided is that like, if I was going to try and make it to the Olympics, which originally was still at, in 2020 at the time, mm-hmm. I was just going to try and rehab it conservatively without getting surgery. Because if I got the surgery, then I definitely would not have gone to the, the Olympics if it had happened in 2020. So I started off like trying to do rehab. I did it for a few months and the leg just wasn't right. You know, I'd gotten to a point where I kind of was doing a bit of pliers, but it just wasn't, I couldn't run. And so then I got a new MRI in September, I believe August or September of 2020. Mm-hmm. And that was when they'd seen that, you know, originally it had torn off and curled up and it reattached itself to the tendon, but it was like, there was still a hole in it. Oh, So it was still a hole in the tendon and a hole in the hamstring. So they were like, the only way that to really repair it in order for me to, be able to run and like compete again was for me to get surgery. So I flew back because obviously I'd re- I was rehabbing in the US and, you know, this was during like lockdown was still happening. So it's kind of like a bit over Zoom and a bit over like, it was just, yeah. So I flew back to London and I did the surgery and my hamstring had also like the scar tissue had attached to the sciatic nerve. So mm-hmm. I feel like every, that's why every time when I tried to run, it just felt like it was going to rip again because it was like pulling on the nerve. And so when I started the rehab, it was kind of like, it's funny because obviously they put my leg in a brace and I couldn't walk. Well, yeah, I had to, I was on crutches for a little bit. And it's so funny how quickly your leg can just wither away. <laughs> Cause I remember that I had the brace on for maybe like two weeks. And the first time they took it off, I just looked at my leg and thought, where's the rest of it? <laughs> like, <laughs> It just, it's so crazy how quickly your leg can just fall off. And it's like, it's not that I have the biggest legs anyway, but like, yeah, they just looked ridiculous to me anyway. So obviously I started the rehab and I think at the beginning it was kind of like, I I thought about documenting it and like filming and showing like how it was going. But then at the same time, it was like, because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to come back from it. I wasn't sure like how my leg was going to feel. How I, I just kind of just didn't really post much. I didn't really show anything because I wasn't sure on like how, do you know what I mean? How the rehab was going to go. I was like, am I going to get back to being an elite athlete again? Is this career ending? Like I really just didn't, I wasn't sure. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like that was one of the biggest things at the beginning of my injury was just like all the doubt of like trying to look online and see like, has anyone else come back from a hamstring injury and come back to being elite? And I'm just like searching (laughs) different things on Google, trying to see like what I can find. And I really didn't see much on it. And I think that was one of the reasons why when I did come back from my injury, I tried to post and talk about it more. So that if there's mm-hmm. other athletes out there that like have serious injuries or bad injuries, they know that, you know, 
if you just stick with it and try to go through the rehab, there is an opportunity for you to actually come back and jump well again. It's interesting. You mentioned uh, being in the brace with the leg. I remember being in my body cast. I was 180 pounds and I dropped down to 135 and I just saw my body. It's atrophy. Your body just yeah. withers away so small. So when they took the body cast off after six months, I was like, where'd my body go? <laughs> Same thing with you. Where'd your leg go? Yeah. Cause even though I just thought, okay, it's, it's been, it's been in the brace for two weeks, but I just <laughs> didn't think that it was that long that my leg would just fall, fall off so quickly. And mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, like in two weeks, if I feel like if I lifted weights for two weeks, the gains I would get wouldn't be as the same as the gains of it falling off, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. No, I'm it like, does. Oh, it does. It's crazy that. Yeah, it was just crazy. No, I went through and, the same thing, so I completely understand. And then I guess, you know, slowly as I started to like do more rehab and stuff like that, then I started to kind of like, well, for the, for a long time, I couldn't really do much. So I mm-hmm. was doing the rehab and like, it was kind of a blessing and a curse at, because they did the surgery and it involved my nerve. When I got the surgery for a long time at the beginning, that maybe after like the first two months, I really couldn't feel my leg at all. So when I was doing rehab, it didn't hurt because I couldn't feel it. Wow. <laughs> so I kind of like, it was kind of like, I kind of, I, I liked it in the sense that sometimes I couldn't do exercises because I physically couldn't do it, but mm-hmm. I couldn't feel it. So I was kind of like, well, at least it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Keep <laughs> on going. Can't. No, it just, my leg just, I used to always say my leg is just fake now. Cause it's like, I would have like, <laughs> you know how like, say it's like a hamstring curl and you know how like the first weight is like five pounds or five kg or whatever it is. Yeah. And I remember like trying to curl it and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't, my leg just couldn't press it. And I thought this is like, the physio had to like push me a little bit and like, do you know what I mean? I just thought my leg yeah. is fake, but it doesn't hurt. I just can't <laughs> do anything with it. Like, and then slowly as you start to feel the gains and start to feel your leg, like, come back a little bit then I start to think okay it's doing a little bit I can see that because we'd measured my leg all the time to see like is it increasing in size and stuff like that so I would see like mini gains happening but obviously I didn't run for like months so even when I did, first did start running I just felt like a fake athlete so like I'm running but like it's <laughs> fake like <laughs> I don't know was it your jump leg yeah it was my take it was leg. the jump leg yeah oh wow that's a big impact, especially not into the body, but to your mind. Yeah, no, definitely. I think even like after I did get past like rehabbing to a point where I could compete, um, the year, even like the whole of 2021, I really didn't train in spikes at all. I think I was like a little bit scared to go run too fast. Mm-hmm. And I still had like, I could jump, but I still like didn't have the full confidence in my leg. There'll be times mm-hmm. where like, I'll be like scared to jump or just get like, I had to psych myself up into like, okay, <laughs> you got to jump now. Like you just got to go for it. And then like, I think, especially like the first time that I was yeah. actually going to compete, I was like, I had to really psych myself up. And then when I jumped and it didn't hurt, I was like, okay, now I can go for it a little bit more. And like, I think I got a little bit more confidence each time I would compete and like, it didn't really hurt. So yeah, that was definitely like, I think it's like having the actual surgery was probably the best thing that happened mm-hmm. because then I started to like, you know, be able to have build more confidence in my leg versus when I was trying to rehab it. And it would just keep feeling like it's pulling and pulling and pulling. It would make me like more scared to run and more scared to like actually put any kind of power into my leg. We hope you're enjoying Stories of Strength brought to you by MuscleTech. Whether you're an elite athlete, weekend warrior, or just trying to stay healthy, MuscleTech believes in growing stronger together. Discover products formulated to help you achieve your strength and fitness goals at Walmart, GNC, and everywhere you find premium supplements. 
On top of the injury, you found yourself without a sponsor, but you're not alone with other athletes. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the athletes that find themselves without a sponsor and what leads to this? For me, I had a sponsor. And then I think when COVID hit, I got dropped by my sponsor. And I feel like mm-hmm. during the times of when COVID really hit, quite a few athletes got dropped by their sponsors. And for me, I mean, I honestly felt like, okay, I, I, fair enough. In 2020, I believe, 2020 or 2021, I didn't have a sponsor. But in my head, I thought, okay, I'm in, I, obviously I was injured. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to work hard. Like I really like betted on myself. I was like, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to make the Olympic team. I'm going to try and do, like, when I jumped the Olympic standard, I thought, wow, I've finally done it. Like I've rehabbed myself. Cause I had to convince myself like you're going, you're going, you're going. And even when I was like, mm-hmm. mm, I don't think you're going to go this year. I, in my head, I told myself I'm going like, I had to really convince myself <laughs> I'm going. And even my coach was in my ear, like we're going, we're going. I don't know what they're talking about. We're going. So it's like, I had to keep telling myself like, you're going, you're going, you're going. And when I actually did it, I thought, okay, I've hit the standard. Like I probably screamed the same way I did when I jumped that seven meters, just that it wasn't on camera. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then obviously, so in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to just bet on myself. I've hit the standard. I jumped 689 and I think I jumped, jumped 693. So to me, that's enough that I would get a contract. So in my head, I'm yeah. thinking, okay, I've jumped far in 2021. And I was expecting that, you know, hopefully by the end of the season, I would get, somebody would offer me a contract. Obviously at the end of 2021, I came back from the injury. I jumped what I believe is far enough to be on contract because I jumped less than that when I got my contract the first time. And obviously nobody, I don't know why, but nobody offered me a contract or no one was interested. I don't really, obviously I'm not the person that negotiates it. I have an agent. He's the one that goes into the meetings and negotiates. I don't really know what transpired, but nobody really offered me anything. So it's an idea that I'd had, like, obviously I started my own apparel company, which sometimes I wonder what possessed me to do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, that's hard. great. I'll be honest. Like it's very hard. It's very, there's a lot of ins and outs that goes into it. There's a lot of stuff that goes into like sampling. You have to pay a lot for samples. You have to make the designs. You have to make sure the quality is right. There's like different things that there's so many things that go into it that you just don't think about until it's happening. But like, I had the idea of it because I know that there's a lot of athletes that sometimes they're not signed and they just like continue to wear their old sponsors gear. And like, yeah. nobody knows that they're not signed. And for me, it's like, I'm, I, I created it and I made the name unsigned because I want people to understand that like, there should be no shame. People shouldn't be trying to hide and, and advertise themselves as this, as if they're still sponsored by the companies. I think because one, what it does is it, when people look at you, they think, oh, you're taking care of, you're already sponsored by Adidas, Nike, Puma, whoever it is. So like yeah. you're not getting approached by other companies because they think you're already sponsored. And number two, if you're like, for example, if I'm wearing a certain company's apparel all the time, what is the incentive for them to want to pay me when you're already wearing it for free? Yeah. It's a free advertisement. Yeah. So that's why I created Unsigned so that they, we can take the stigma away of people hiding and shying away from it. And we can also advertise yourself as unsigned. It will allow like small businesses maybe, or people in your area or people that want to step in and like really support to kind of take that leap to be like, okay, I see that Lorraine's unsigned and she's from London or I'm, I'm and Lorraine's unsigned. I have a small company and she can put her, I can put my logo on her uniform and I compete on on TV all the time. I, I have the post the link on my page and like certain things like that, where I realize that there are people out there that want to support. They just don't know how to. And I sure. think I wanted to go a different route from like GoFundMe where it's kind of like, you know, you give money, like people donate money to you, but they get nothing in return. 
And I feel mm-hmm. like instead, like having the unsigned apparel where you buy something from me, you're wearing it and you know that there's a cause behind it. You're also spreading the message for other athletes. And I think it's allowing athletes to kind of like showcase themselves as available so that companies can step in and kind of like bridge that gap. So that's kind of why I created it. And that was that off of the back of like, obviously having the deficit of getting dropped, thinking that I was going to get a contract again, not really having anything that was, that nobody really approached me. Like I felt like I deserved. And so I'm like, okay, let me try and do it myself. Mm-hmm. It is, it's been tough. Uh, and I said it earlier, <laughs> like it's, I mean, hopefully by the time this comes out, I would, I would have launched, but it's just been like, there's been so many different logistical things that I really just didn't think about. And that obviously I'm learning as I go and hopefully like it will still be successful and it will go well and like people will love it. And I hope that, cause I know that some athletes have approached me like, you know, they want to get on board and stuff like that. And I've always talked about how I'm hoping to help other unsigned athletes. I know what it feels like when I'm like living out of my savings account, I'm still needing to go to the physio. Cause yes, I might be, I might be in a place where I can jump, but I still need to continue to do the rehab, but you ha- kind of have to ration how much you go because it's like, it's expensive. The bills are expensive. Yeah. You need SNC coaches. You need a bunch of stuff like coaching fees and all these things are racking up and the money's not coming in. And it's just like, if you, when you have a sponsor and you know that they're paying you to, in order to maintain yourself, to pay your rent, to be able to go to the physio and have that financial security before you've even competed. It's kind of like, I've even seen training partners around me that are not signed and I see them having niggles or issues and stuff like that. And they're like trying to decipher between like, am I just going to push through? Cause it's like, sometimes, especially when you do get injured, it's like, you're trying to rush and get back. Yeah. You're trying to rush and get back so you can compete and make prize money, especially if you don't have a contract. So you're not, you don't have that financial security to be able to rehab yourself properly and come back afterwards. Or you have a little, like, do you know what I mean? Like it goes hand yeah, in hand true. with like the financial and keeping your body right. It's like, so that's why I kind of wanted to hopefully like once I generate a profit, whenever that happens, hopefully <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the biggest things I feel like will that I will try to combat first is like trying to help people with like paying for a little bit of physio and stuff like that. And like whatever, like, like little bills and things here and there. But like, that's something that I don't necessarily want to promise anybody up front right now. Cause I know that like, yeah. it needs to make a profit. It needs to gain a little bit. I need to gain some customers and then I can see what I can do. But like, it's kind of like, I have dreams and visions of what I hope it can do, but obviously mm-hmm. it needs to launch first and then we'll see what happens off the back of that. But yeah. it was definitely a company that was created off of the back of being an athlete, wanting to also help myself financially to pay for my training. And then hopefully if it can grow, then I'll hopefully be able to help the people around me and, and other unsigned athletes, especially ones like my training partners who are competing on TV. We're competing at world indoors and going to the Olympics and going to diamond leagues and have no contract. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I think when a lot of people, they kind of like look on, look at you and they see that you're on TV and they just think you're making that big, big money. And some of us are not getting paid. Like you go to the Olympics, you make the Olympic final, you could go home with nothing because there's no prize money at the Olympics. So it's like, if you ain't got a contract to hit a bonus, you just make nothing. You just did it for the pride of your country, which is great, but like, it costs money to be an athlete. So you need to be able to make that money back and like actually support yourself without stressing. Cause I feel like that can cause a lot of stress as well. Like when you're just trying to juggle, like how you're going to make ends meet and like stuff like that. So you bring up a lot of points that you just said. I remember a track and field athlete by the name of Brandon Rock. He used to put duct tape over the Nike symbol. Yeah. He was unsigned at the time and he, he was, he competed in the Olympics as well. And uh, people don't understand how costly it is to be an athlete. 
People, you said a very valid point. People think, oh, you're just on TV. You're already making the money. But people understand how costly it is just to get there. Do you only subscribe to track and field athletes or is unsigned going after other athletes as well? I think for right now, I think that obviously I'm a very, very small business. I'm doing a lot of this stuff like by myself. And for right now, maybe if I can branch out at a point where I've gained a little bit more traction, then I would, it's definitely something that I can see it translating into a lot of other sports and a lot of other, you don't even like when I actually created it, when I originally created it, it was kind of like, it doesn't have to be something that only athletes wear. This is something that everybody can wear to support. A lot of the clothes Mm -hmm. are like hoodies, tracksuits, stuff like that. You can wear it to the grocery store. You can wear it to go wherever you want. Like you don't have to be an athlete in order to wear the clothes. It's just about what it's going to to support in, which is unsigned athletes. But like anybody can wear it really. Like if you, if you're an athlete and you're in football and you're unsigned and you want to wear that apparel, like by all means, like it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not just about track and field at this point. It's just that because I'm a track athlete and I see track athletes around me, those are the people that I probably talk about the most. And also like when it comes to like, you know, when I do the photo shoots and stuff like that, I invite my track and field athletes and stuff that I know as for right now, because obviously I just feel like there's only so far I can spread myself at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Once I've kind of built the track and field niche and gotten it built up in track and field, then it can spread. Maybe if it, if that's where it needs to, if that's where it has the capacity to go, then definitely it can go into other sports and other areas and avenues. But for now, I think I just need to like rein it in and try to like <laughs> <laughs> make sure I make it correct in the small area that I have first before I expand. It's a big undertaking. You're going to do it though. I believe in you. I really Hopefully. do. <laughs> so what's the response you've been getting from other athletes with it? I definitely think it's gotten a good response. I feel like a few, quite a few athletes have like reached out to me, you know, they've been like, you know, they're unsigned and like, they want to also promote themselves as being unsigned and stuff like that. And I know that I have had like a few people that have messaged me, like they want unsigned to sign them. And like, that's something that I would love to do if I had the capacity mm-hmm. to, but yeah. I think that's some, a message that I have to reiterate at this beginning stage, at least, is that like, obviously I'm an unsigned athlete also. I'm the sole owner of the company right now. And a lot of the investment that has gone into it has been out of my own pocket. So it's mm-hmm. only so far I can spread. And obviously I don't have the money. If I had the money to sign other people, then I would like... <laughs> Like, do you know what I mean? I don't know how to explain it any other mm-hmm. way. So it's more so about building yourself and showcasing yourself as unsigned. Because I feel like even when I was competing, wearing unsigned, then people reached out to me like, I want to help. I want to support. I have a small business. I have a physio place that you can come to. I have, like people were reaching out to me because they wanted yeah. to help. So I feel like one of the biggest things about it right now is people wearing unsigned so that they can showcase themselves, so that they can showcase themselves as available. And then small businesses from around there, them and their area, their niche can reach out to them and help to sponsor them. So it's not necessarily about me doing it, but it's putting that Mm -hmm. message out and aligning yourself with the brand so that people can reach out to you, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does. Yeah. Have you been reached out by any um, other sponsors while wearing unsigned? I've had a few people reach out to me, not, not anyone like, not any like apparel companies, but I've had a few people like even just individuals. There's one man that has reached out to me, his name is Mike Klein and he's from Fee Man Consulting Limited and he is a HR consultant mm-hmm. and he reached out to me and he was like, you know, I have a small company and I really want to help you and support you. And like he, I think he saw, 
when I competed at after World, um, World Indoors, he saw the interview where I talked about Unsigned and he reached out to me and he was like, you know, he really wanted to support and like offer some support. So that that's somebody that's helped me out. And then also another guy, his name is Hugh Shields. And he, after seeing Unsigned, he also reached out to me and he offered to pay for like any running shoes or spikes and stuff like that. So I feel like that's there's great. been, yeah, there's been different people that have reached out to me to offer their help so that I can continue to be an athlete. And they've just seen, you know, I've, I think there's been like quite a good response so far. And like, there's a few other people that I've kind of spoken to a little bit. I need to set up like phone calls with. So there has been a bit of a response. Like, well, obviously I'll talk about it more and show it more once we launch the brand a little bit better and have a better way to communicate that. But those two people are the main ones that I've actually spoken to and locked in. And like, they've actually been like a great help so far. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Now, how is it juggling being an entrepreneur, wearing that hat, and then also being that? <laughs> how is it going for you? It's going, it's going, it's going. It's, it's tough. I will say it's very, very tough. And even like when I, there's a video that I posted on my page where I talked about delegation because, you know, originally I started off with like printing the logos myself onto the stuff and like press, like even this, like I heat pressed it onto the hoodies and stuff like that. And I realized that like it's really not functional it cost it was a way in which I could cut costs and also like gauge like what I'm actually doing but at the same time it just takes so much time when it's like I have to go to my coach at the office where he has a logo printer and like trying to find time to like, align with him because he has so much stuff going on as well and mm -hmm. then like you know printing all the stuff takes a very long time I've still got to go training I've still got to go physio I've still got to like have some downtime to calculate, like trying to do designs, trying to do that. Like, it's just a lot. And my head is just like, sometimes it's just, this is how my head feels. You're just spinning. I know. Yeah. Like I'm, I have to like write it down. Like, okay, what are the tasks I need to do? What am I trying to achieve today? What am I trying to, and it's like, I think when, when I first took it on, obviously I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I, I just think that it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And even like, I wanted to launch earlier than this, but then I realized that I just don't think it was ready yet because logistics on like, obviously trying to delegate out that, okay, there's certain things where I'm like, okay, I'm going to find a vendor, get them to do certain things. And then they'll promise certain dates that don't happen during, even though COVID is kind of like passing, but it's not. And like shipping costs are quite expensive. There's mm. delays. There's just so much stuff that's like, <laughs> and You're my a busy brain is girl. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think it's, it's definitely been hard. And I'm, and like, I'll be honest, like sometimes I just think, it's worrying because obviously I haven't launched it yet. So I have no customers really. I mean, I, a few mm -hmm. people have reached out to me and bought a few things or like seen me in person, but like, I don't have like the customer base yet. So I'm like a lot of the stuff, like I'm talking about what I want to do and what I'm going to do, but I haven't actually done it yet. So that makes me nervous because I'm like, I could launch the website and then like nobody buys anything. Then what? <laughs> I was just talking <laughs> for no reason. Do you get what I'm saying? So I'm, no, I'm, I, I mean, obviously there's been a decent response. So hopefully that doesn't happen, but it's still that kind of fear of like taking that leap of faith to be like, okay, this is a good idea, but how can I execute it? And like, even just thinking about returns, like obviously when I originally did this, I didn't even think about returns. And I'm like, okay, where, where's the return address going to be? How am I going to logistically, if people like just all different things, I just needed to calculate and like, yeah, it's just, I don't know. Well, you got a customer here. Once you set up the website, I'll be purchasing a, a hoodie. For sure. I think I really appreciate, appreciate that. 
No, no, it's it's amazing what you're doing because there are people don't understand. I'm going to say this again: people don't understand from swimmers to to runners how important and how imperative it is to have a sponsor because you are reaching into your savings account each and every day that you're going out there and training, and it's very hard. And I applaud you for what you're doing. So. Yeah. In terms of that, do you have any mentors like is maybe Dwight Phillips, who's a long jump legend, successful entrepreneur, is your coach? Do you have any mentors that are actually helping you with this? Not really. Not really? Uh, obviously, like my, I have my coach who I talked to him about it before I started it as well because I know that he does. Like, obviously, he has like a lot of the equipment. So when I first started, I went to his office to kind of like print the logos, like print a few hoodies, kind of see like gauge what I was trying to do. And, you know, he was just like, let's just do it. Like, just do it. Just put it out. Just do it. Like, do you know what I mean? He's like, yeah, just do it. Like, I feel like he's the type of person that's, he's definitely encouraged me, like, not just on the track, but off the track. Like, he was one of the ones that was pushing me, like, yeah, definitely, like, get it done. Like, you know, it's going to, it, it will take off. And like, do you know what I mean? Just giving me that encouragement to be like, yeah. you know, just get it done. Like, I don't necessarily think that I have like a mentor or anything like that. It's just, it's quite difficult because I feel like a lot of my time is just like so... I have so much stuff. I don't know. I just, it's, I feel like it's you have hard a lot to going like, on. yeah, it's hard to like lock in the time to really just get, I don't know. I, yeah. And I, I really <laughs> wouldn't know who to, who I would even reach out to, to kind of who has the availability to mentor me. If that was like even an option, mm -hmm. I'm always op open to help and I'm always open to ideas and like ways to make it easier. So I'm open to having a mentor for sure. I just don't have one at this point, I guess. Well, it's very important. Well, what, whatever I can do for you, and I mean that with all sincerity, whatever I can do for you, you just let me know because uh, what you're doing for athletes is you may not see the the end game, but what, you, what you're doing and what you're providing for athletes is very imperative. It's very important. And it gives a lot of people an, a, a, a chance of hope yeah. and security that they can fulfill their Olympic dream or athletic dream. So what you're doing for people is, is you should be very proud of yourself. Do you have any words of advice for maybe a young entrepreneur or person who is unsigned or wants to get signed by something do you have any advice for them i don't know if i have advice about getting signed because me too i'm not signed so yeah <laughs> i don't know if i've got the best advice on that but <laughs> i guess my advice for young athletes is kind of just like to be authentic i think one of the biggest things and one of the reasons why a lot of people kind of like like whenever i talk about the brand or whenever whenever i talk about you know what i'm doing is just being authentic i feel like a lot of mm -hmm. people will try and hide it and try and like make it make it seem as though like everything's all perfect and all lovely and I think for me it's just that like, I'm just very honest on what's happening like if it's going good it's going good if it's not going <laughs> I'll let you know if I'm not sponsored I'm gonna be like hey guys I'm available like instead of pretending <laughs> like and keeping it because I feel like a lot of people just keep it quiet and not say anything or like do you know what I mean so I just feel like sometimes like asking for the help or letting people know how they can help you or how yeah, I don't know. Just like being authentic. I think that's one of the biggest things. It's like be mm. authentic, stay true to yourself. Don't feel like you need to mold yourself into being a certain type of way or doing a set. Just like, I think authenticity is what people love. So that's one of the yeah. things that I feel like I've, well, hopefully <laughs> that's what they like. Um, you know, no, it will, it will. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> we'll see. No, you're, you're making, you're making great advancements in the athletic community. Trust me, you really are. Cause there's a lot of people you can help. And yeah. once this gets launched, it's going to be great. Speaking about help, what legacy or what do you want to leave behind for your athletic career? What legacy are you going after? Um, I think for me, I'm just kind of like, I think there's a, I guess there's a few different avenues I could go on in terms of that. I think one of the first things is what we talked about when it came to injury and just kind of like mm -hmm. showcasing that, you know, you can have a bad injury 
and come back from it. And like, you can, you know, as long as you follow a good rehab program, you have a lot of people around you have a lot. Cause I feel like when I was rehabbing, I, it was like very intense for me. Like I went to, there was a point where I went to in England, there's a place called Bisham Abbey and it's like an intense rehab facility. And I just, I slept there, I ate there. I tr- like tr- I did rehab like wow. throughout the week and then you go home on the weekend. So it's kind of like sometimes just having that time to just focus on, like, I don't have to drive anywhere. Well, I, could, I don't think I, the first time I went there, I couldn't drive anywhere because my leg, but like, <laughs> so it helped that I could just sleep there and just like crutch my way to the rehab place. And like, have, there was a nutritionist, they had a psychologist there. But it's kind of like you had like the whole package of stuff. So I feel like having a good team around you when it comes to rehabbing and then also like, having that positive mindset. So like, even though sometimes that would set in, like, I really wasn't sure, like, should I retire? Like, I wasn't sure, should I, like, I almost thought, should I just give, should I let it go? And then I just thought, no, because I, like, later on, I might regret, like, not giving it that last push to be like, do you know what I mean? And like, even though that, that's one thing I didn't even talk about before is that I feel like even when I posted about, you know, I decided in my head that like, I'm going regardless, but that was because I knew the limits of my body. So I don't want to encourage anyone to be like, go against medical advice and be like, I'm just going to start running crazy. And like, do you know what I mean? I, I, <laughs> yeah. I think after a while of rehabbing, I started to feel my body coming back. And I knew that, do you know what? I, I know that I can get back because I know my body. And there might, there mm-hmm. was even times last year where I would turn up to training, I would warm up. I'm supposed to do run-ups or an approach session or a jump session. And I, I realized that, I can't do anything else today. So I feel like yeah. I've learned how to fight my battles. Sometimes I'll go to training and I can't do anything else but warm up because my leg said no. And it's like knowing that balance between like maybe in my younger years, I'll just try and force it and fight it. And then being like, okay, mm-hmm. just let it go today. Come back, yeah. live to fight another day and come back tomorrow. Come back in two days rather than aggravating it and prolonging the injury. So when I, when I say I came back, it wasn't necessarily because I was forcing my body beyond its limit. It was sometimes knowing the limit to when to stop. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So no, it does. Yeah, it does. You have some very strong mantras and very strong words. So where can people find you on social media if they want to learn more about you and learn more about unsigned? I would say the first page to follow me on would be my, my, well, my personal page for me is at L O R R A I N E U G E N, which is Lorraine Ugen, which is my name. In regards to my brand, if you want to support my brand and you found that you liked something about the brand or anything that's going on with that, then that would be at Unsigned Sport. It's Unsigned Sport. And the apparel will be launching on www.unsignedsport.com. And hopefully by the time this comes out, the website has launched. <laughs> so uh, That is great. That is great. Well, congratulations on all your success. And thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. That's all the time we have. A big thank you to Lorraine Ugin for joining us on this show today and speaking with us about advocating for athletes, sharing her story, and bringing the Olympic season to a close. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stories of Strength and you're enjoying the show. Leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Jay Cardiello, and this has been Stories of Strength, personal and inspirational tales that redefine strength presented by MuscleTech. Tech.